0: The sermon you're about to hear, I presented about two and a half years ago, I said then, and I'll say it again today, I have never written a sermon that has, that has affected me personally so much as the sermon you will hear today. I can remember writing this sermon, and I can remember that I've never been so tired emotionally after writing a sermon than the sermon that you will hear today. There have been times when I have cried while writing a sermon. And this is one of those sermons. I say this so that you'll understand the spirit in which I speak these words tonight. If I seem haughty, uncaring mean it is not intended my intention is humility so please don't take my anger if I show it my hurt in my heart if I show it or my, frank, my frankness as arrogance it does not matter one whit how I feel What matters is what the Bible says about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, and how we will apply what the Bible says in our lives. Emotions run deep when it comes to marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Everyone in this room is affected by marriage, divorce, and remarriage in some way. Everyone in this room, old enough to know, knows someone who has been married Divorced, remarried, regardless of the situation, uh, since last I preached this sermon, so many of you have asked me questions about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. You've offered scenarios. You've told me about heartaches, heartaches that you've gone through. You've told me about losses that that you've been a part of. You've told me the, the anger that you've encountered and the anger that you've personally had over the Treatment of others and the treatment of you. And I know tonight that this study may very well bring up a million more questions in your mind. And I'll be happy to sit with you, text with you, talk with you over the phone, email, in person. I'll entertain any question that you have, but I have two requests. Think about what's being said tonight. And reflect on God's word. And I'll entertain any question that's brought to me in the spirit of love. Most all of us as conscientious members of the Lord's church. Have struggled to understand and apply God's word on the, marriage of, on the subject of marriage, divorce and remarriage. I must admit that how I thought in my 20's is now how, not how I feel in my 40's but it was because that I was with a loving congregation that let me express my views as erroneous as they were and figure out what God says without condemning me that I am able to stand before you today with the truth if we cannot express ourselves here where can we? and if any body of people is, to, is able to understand marriage, divorce, and remarriage. The Lord's church should possess the love and the honesty that it takes to rightly divide the word of truth and be of one mind here at Fountainhead on the subject. Since preaching this two, two and a half years ago, I have not changed my mind. And the words in the Bible have not changed. Others that I know, have changed, brothers and sisters in Christ that I know. Have changed, but the Word of God has not. George Barna, whose company conducts a survey conducts surveys all across the country, did a survey in two thousand eight, and compiled statistics that show that Christians are just as likely to get a divorce as non Christians. Rather than bore you with the data, allow me to quote the summary from Mr. Barna about the divorce study his company conducted. George Barna, George Barna noted that Americans have grown comfortable with divorce as a natural part of life. He says There's no, there no longer seems to be much of a stigma attached to divorce. It now is seen as an unavoidable rite of passage. Interviews with young adults suggest if they want their initial marriage to last but are not particularly optimistic about that possibility. There's no evidence that many young people are moving toward embracing the idea of serial marriage in which a person gets married two or three times seeking a different partner for each phase of their adult life. He writes, 58% of Protestants and 69% of Catholics disagreed that divorce without adultery involved the commission of a sin. Church, God... Hates divorce. That hasn't changed. Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, says that God does not change. Mal- Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 says that God does not change. And Malachi t- chapter 2, verse 16 says that God hates divorce. He has not changed his mind. For anyone struggling with marriage, divorce, and remarriage, are you willing, is my question to you this evening, are you willing? to do what God wants you to do, and live in the way that God wants you to live. The outline for this sermon is taken from Matthew chapter 19 verses 3 through 12 so that we can understand the, the basics of marriage, divorce, and remarriage and then walk in the darkness that man has created surrounding the subject of marriage, divorce, and remarriage with the light of the gospel held high so that we can see where we're going. The material for this sermon comes from three sources. The teachings of Jesus and Paul, of course, from the Bible. And then there are some scenarios brought out in a, in a, in a debate by brothers Sapp and Evans, who in uh, 2009 had a debate, two brothers in Christ had a debate over the subject of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. They had this debate in Rowlett, Texas in two thousand nine. And so there's some scenarios that I want to bring out from, from that debate. And then the the third source comes from my own personal experience with divorce. I know firsthand how divorce feels. The preacher who held our gospel meeting two years ago, Doug Couch, was there when my wife first wife admitted that she was having an affair with a man that she is now married to. I know the heartache, the painful memories, the loss of trust. I actually had to figure out in my own mind that no one is worth killing yourself over. I had to figure out in my own mind that no one is worth losing your salvation over. I would not want, do not want any of you to have to endure... The trials of a divorce. It is a hated chapter in my life. I know how hard it is on the families. I know how hard it is on how hard it was on my mother and father who are here this evening. The extended families. This this just 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 doesn't affect the people who are married. It affects the children. It affects the in laws and the outlaws and the cousins and the and the church family. We must really think about those things before we take such a step in our lives. To the divorced, whatever your situation, I want you to understand what pulled me through. I ran to God instead of away from God. That's what pulled me through. Run to God if you're having problems and not away from Him. I would sing with tears in my eyes. I would beat my chest. I would sing rock of ages, cleft for me. I begged God. I prayed prayers that included the cries of of David, Psalm 28 verses 1 and 2. To you I will cry, O Lord, my Rock. Do not be silent to me, lest if you are silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear my voice, hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you, when I lift my hands towards your holy sanctuary. I would cry that prayer. I would pray this prayer, Psalm 35 verses 1 and 2. Plead my cause, O Lord, with those who strive with me. Fight against. The those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for my help. I needed help. I prayed Psalm 59 verses 1 and 2. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from, from bloodthirsty men. I prayed Psalm 61, verses 1 through 3. Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter to me, a strong tower from the enemy. And many more did I cry and I prayed and I I used the psalms for prayers because I couldn't think. I could not personally think it through. I know how you feel. I know how you felt. I was paralyzed in a way. I sought wise counsel. I was blessed with loving, faithful people who surrounded me. I immersed myself in Scripture so that my faith was increased. I have studied this subject quite extensively. And first of all, I want you to know how God feels about marriage. God loves marriage. He thought marriage up. And God has set out to protect marriage. What does God compare marriage to? Well, in Ephesians chapter 5, the inspired apostle Paul compares marriage to the relationship. He compares He compares the relationship found in marriage to the relationship between Jesus and the church. God has set things up so that the gates of hell cannot and did not prevail against the church. And God has set marriage in its proper setting. What much of marriage, divorce, that I found in my study, what much of marriage, divorce, and remarriage involves is sex. God invented sex. Sex is good when it's done in God's ordained way, which is marriage. Sex outside of marriage is called fornication, and sex with someone beside your spouse is adultery. There are some similarities between fornication and adultery and the basic similarity is sex. But fornication and adultery are different as we'll see. If you would please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19 and and see Jesus' teaching on the subject of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. In the first two verses we find Jesus in transit between Galilee and Judea. He's teaching and He's healing. And in verse 3, it says, the Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? The motive of these Pharisees was to trap Jesus. You see, in the first century, there were two schools of thought just like in our century. In their day, the teacher Hillel taught that one could give a certificate of divorce for any reason. While they had this great teacher called Shammai who said that you could only get a certificate of divorce for one reason. And that was fornication. This was a test of Jesus on a, on a difficult subject that divided the Jewish people of the time. Today I'll be bringing up some of the points from Brother Melvin Sapp who opposed Brother Jack Evans in Rowlett, Texas in 2009. Two brothers in Christ who had a disagreement on this point, but debated and were Christian gentlemen in their treatment of each other. So this study is very relevant today. And if you if think Jesus' teaching on the subject would, would end the debate, and it really only brought more questions, but Jesus' teaching can be understood and there's a right way to view Jesus' teaching on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. If we use God's standard, as we talked about this morning, we can understand This difficult subject. Now some people ask questions to be factious, like these Pharisees. Their motive was to test test Jesus rather than really find out the truth. Paul, writing to Titus in Titus chapter 3, verses 10 through 11, he says, Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. When we study God's Word or ask questions, our motives should be pure motives. Seeking the truth is what we should be doing. You know, the Bereans in Acts chapter 17 verse 11, they sought the truth. It says they were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica and that they received the Word with all readiness and searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. These these, these Pharisees, they, they came to Jesus espousing a false doctrine. Is what they were doing. How can we determine if a teaching is false? Well, as we just read in Acts, we must look to the scriptures to see if something is so. We've got to look at God's standard to see if something is so. And if a scripture condemns any doctrine, then that doctrine is false. If, as we'll see in Romans chapter 6, a teaching supports or encourages immorality, well, it's false. If a teaching is illogical and violates common sense, well, then it's false. If the Jews, they, they, they wanted the man, you know, it, when we read about the man that was being healed uh, in John chapter 9, the Jews, they wanted the man healed in John chapter 9 to say that Jesus was a sinner because Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. They tried to say that Jesus was from the evil one he was from the devil because he healed the man so they called called this man to him they said the man who was born blind they said to him give God the glory we know this man is a sinner and he said whether he's a sinner or not I do not know one thing I know I was blind and now I see in Matthew as we read the Pharisees ask if there can be a divorce for any cause at all and what does Jesus do well he turns to God's word Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 and 5. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. God created marriage. He created the flesh and the leaving and the cleaving. God created this rule to live on and on and on. God's word applies to all mankind. All sinners are obliged to follow God's word and that remains in repentance and baptism too. Jesus gives scripture back before Moses and gives it it as a rule for us to follow even in the New Testament. Look at verse 6. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together let not man separate. God joins the two together in marriage, not man. God joins the two together in marriage, not sin. God joins man and woman together when they make a conscious decision to make a life together, to become one flesh. Man needs to leave marriage alone. But in the first century like today, we have people whose eyes are full of adultery. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 14. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 6 says, For of this sort there are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. The Pharisees ask, verse 7, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and put her away? The Pharisees give Jesus what I like to call, but what about? You you know, the, the but what abouts. But what about this? But what about that? But what if we were on a deserted island? You know, you know, the but what abouts. You say this, but what about Moses? What did, you know, he said that. He, even today, you know, what about this instance? What about that instance? What about, what about, what about this? What about that? Questions are how we learn. And I'm, I'm grateful to the teachers of my past who labored with me with a myriad of questions that I had. In their testing of Jesus, though, the Pharisees also, like so many, they wanted an out, you see. Let me read you this. This is from Brother Kevin Colley from Arkansas. He was asked this question. This is a what about question, okay? Question from a member of the church. I'm a member of the church and have a question about divorce. I committed fornication and became pregnant. I married the father thinking this was the right thing to do, but now realize that two wrongs don't make a Right? I'm not in love with my husband, but I'm in a pregnant I was in a pregnancy high, so I thought I loved him. If not divorce, is there anything that I can do? What would you tell her? What would be the advice to this young lady about her marriage? What would you tell her? Here's what Brother Colley writes. I'm indeed sorry to hear of your situation. Let me confirm for you that the only reason for divorce is sexual infidelity on the part of your husband fornication according to Matthew chapter 5 verse 32 and Matthew chapter 19 verse 9 There would be many I'm sure who might counsel you to simply do whatever you want to do but that would be a mistake Your eternal salvation is much more important than seeking a few years of pleasure while here on this earth. Do you hear me, Fountainhead? That's from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, by the way. And whether you can learn to have a happy marriage or not will never affect that truth. see it's not about how I feel or how you feel it's about what God's word says and are you willing to obey it or not he says however I want to tell you that there's hope for your marriage I know you say you don't love your husband now but I believe that you can grow to love him in a way that you've never dreamed possible there's hope there is hope there's always hope Until you give up on it. Adultery is not the unforgivable sin. Fornication is not the unforgivable sin. Murder is not the unforgivable sin. God wants all men to come to a knowledge of the truth, God wants all men to be saved. But I hate or I have hated the situation that I'm in. in. What do I do? Put God first. There you go. Simple answer. Put God first in whatever you do. Look at verse 8. He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. We have shed tears over many who have walked away from marriages. We have shed tears over so many who have walked away from God because they refused to do things God's way. They took control of things themselves and and did things their way, and yes, you can give me a a gut-wrenching, but but what about my situation? The simple fact is most people just don't want to obey God. In the foyer, or the eight basic causes of divorce, if you want to pick them up, there's more explanation to each one of these. You know, each one of these situations, money, alcohol, immaturity, jealousy, irresponsibility, it all boils down to selfishness. One is more selfish sometimes than the other. Sometimes it's both of them. Some who walk away are, are, are just selfish. Selfish. It's root behind these eight causes. You know, you've got a, a lady that's being beat on. Should she continue to be beat on? No! Get away from him! He's selfish! You've got this one who's, who's over here cheating on her husband. Should he have to live in that? No! She's selfish! It's the root cause behind all of those problems. Selfishness. They have hard hearts, Jesus said. Because, they, they, because of the pleasures of earth, they refused to obey God. Listen to Jesus. Verse 9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery... And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. It's pretty plain, isn't it? Turn over in your Bibles. Hold on to your place here. Turn over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. It's going to be on the screen too. Matthew chapter 5 verses 31 and 32. Furthermore, it's been said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. It's pretty plain. Pretty plain teaching. Jesus here explains and continues the rule from marriage, divorce, and remarriage to the end of time. One who divorces their spouse and marries another is committing adultery. The person who marries, the one put away, commits adultery. Not fornication only, but adultery. Fornication is involved. Fornication is sex outside of marriage. The only exception is when a spouse is put away on the grounds of fornication, in which case the innocent party is free to remarry. When you divorce your spouse for any other reason than fornication, in the eyes of the state of Tennessee, a divorce has occurred. In God's eyes, you're still bound. If you marry again, in the eyes of the government, you're married. But in God's eyes, you're living in a state of adultery. To this point, most will agree with these statements that I've made. But there are some, some whatabouts that I have been asked that really make you think. They really make you think hard. The answers to which can be found in God's Word. And we'll get to some of those in a moment. Verse, verse 10. His, his disciples said to him, If such is the case of the man with his wife, it's better not to marry. Here's one solution. The disciples understood the gravity of the teaching. And they come up with a pretty logical solution, don't they? Just don't get married. I mean I mean, you don't have to get married. You don't have to. Paul writes, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it's good for them if they remain even as I am. And, And what Paul was was unmarried. It's okay not to marry. You don't have to get married. verse 11 but he said to them all cannot accept this saying but only those to whom it has been given not all can give all to god okay this this saying is what jesus just said in in verse 9 this saying was given to those considering marriage to those who are married To those considering divorce, to those who have divorced due to fornication, to those who have improperly divorced. That's who this saying is given to. This saying was not given to this next group. Look at verse 12. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. A eunuch is one who cannot have sex. But there are some who can't have sex because they were born unable to. They were born eunuchs. There are some who can't have sex because they were made eunuchs. In our day, they would have been made eunuchs because of trauma and a car wreck or in a war. But there are some like Paul. Who don't have sex. It's not because they won't have sex, it's because they don't have sex or get married because they can do more for God. They become eunuchs for God. Some in an adulterous relationship, well, they need to relieve that relationship and become a eunuch for God. It's okay. If you are in one of the just-mentioned situations, you're thinking about getting married, thinking about getting a divorce, I want you to stop. I I want you to apply Jesus' teachings to, to your life. And if you have to, ask yourself the question, could I become a eunuch for God? Could I never remarry if push came to shove? so that I could be pleasing to my Heavenly Father? It's an important question. You know, we've seen some count the cost and others walk away. But if you do things God way, God's way, there's always hope. There's always hope. There was a question posed to me that as a younger man, I would have told you different. God's word hasn't changed but I have. I got in line with God's word. I thought as a younger man with you know with all the sin going on in the first century. I mean you think about Corinth and how sinful of a city that it was if you look at history itself. I thought with all the sin going on in the first century, surely there were some who were in adult in an adulterous relationship who became Christians but they but they didn't have to leave their spouse. But I have learned that Shirley didn't have a lot to do with the answers. That's a joke. Thank you. Some of you laughed. God protects the institution of marriage like He does the church. Okay? God protects His. There was a question that was posed to me by more than one person, and it seemed to have the most emotion behind it. And because time is short, I'll just deal with this question. And know the motive behind every question that I've been asked so far about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. As far as I can tell, the the motive has been from a sincere heart, and they've been the best of motives. Nobody's been mean to me or angry with me about about anything they've asked me. Here's the question that was posed to me. If baptism washes away sin, and it does, Why can't those living in adultery stay married after they are baptized? Aren't their sins forgiven? It's a good question. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, we understand that to repent means to change your mind, which leads one to stop, to to terminate, to cease, to discontinue, to abandon. All that's sinful in their life. Acts chapter three, verse nineteen. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. To to repent means to change. Brother Marshall Keeble said repentance means to, to back up. He said he wouldn't have a, a mule or a horse or a car that wouldn't back up. Would you have a car that didn't have reverse? He wouldn't either. We must not be too stubborn to back up. Non-Christians in adulterous marriages must comply with the requirements of repentance and baptism before they can be pleasing to God. Repentance and baptism or repentance for a Christian who's fallen away require that an adulterous marriage cease so that those involved can be pleasing to God. Repentance requires the same of adulterers as it does other sinners. James chapter 2 verses 8 through 11 says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. God is no respecter of persons. Repentance means the same thing to the Christian as it does for the non-Christian. Acts chapter 17 verse 30. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked but now commands all men everywhere to You can finish it, to repent. All unrighteousness must be repented of to be pleasing to God. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9. All sins not repented of will keep you out of heaven, including adultery. Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 21. Brother Melvin Sapp brought out in his debate with Jack Evans that non-Christians are required to repent before baptism. He, says all, he, he writes, all men are commanded to repent, Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Repentance precedes baptism, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Repentance precedes conversion, Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repentance comes before remission of sins, Luke chapter 24, verse 47. Godly sorrow produces repentance, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. And rep- repentance must produce fruit, Matthew chapter 3, verse 8. The gospel is perverted if sin is continued in. And in the case of adultery gone unchecked, marriage is perverted as well. Sin separates man from God, Isaiah 59, verse 2. Can a new Christian continue in the same lifestyle after baptism? The sin which separated them from God in the first place, can they continue in that sin? Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. God does not want us to continue living in sin. God does not want us to continue to be a slave to sin. If we die to sin, the apostle says, we can't keep living in sin. Baptism is a burial for those who have died to sin. When that person comes up, they are a new creature. Their sins are washed away. And because they have repented, they cannot continue living in that sin. You with me? John the baptizer taught repentance and baptism. Mark chapter 6 verses 17 through 20. But did not baptize Herod. John called Herod's marriage unlawful. Jesus demanded the Samaritan woman, John chapter 4 verses 15 through 18, to go call her husband She knew she Jesus knew she had five husbands, and the one that she was she was with at the time was not her husband. In Jesus' eyes she had no husband and was living in in adultery, and it prevented her from getting that living water. But she came to realize that in Jesus there's hope. The Corinthians they had to terminate their their sinful lifestyles. Look at look at First Corinthians chapter six verse nine. It says, "Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived." Now listen here, listen folks, listen, fountainhead. Neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to me. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Ten sins are mentioned here that will keep one out of the kingdom all of these practices will do that and adultery is one of them those who had obeyed had terminated their sinful lifestyle they had to that's what it says they were no longer living in those sins after being washed they weren't thieves anymore they weren't adulterers anymore they weren't drunkards anymore they put those things behind them. They had to repent of each and every one of these that are mentioned to be pleasing to God. Brother Sapp said baptism is not a magic presto changeo machine. Okay? It's not a magic presto change machine that changes sin into righteousness. Sin is is still sin after baptism. Now, baptism washes away your sins, but sin is still sin. If, here in the picture, if two homosexuals got married, but then found out the truth, and were baptized, does that make this this sodomite marriage okay? Do they continue to keep being homosexuals? And be right with God. What about living together? What about living together? That's not sugarcoated, it's fornication. If a fornicating, cohabitating couple finds out the truth and obeys God, do they get to continue living together? Do they get to continue in fornication? Repentance requires the same thing of all sinners, fornication, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. It requires the same thing of all of them to be pleasing to God. What you've got to do is you've got to leave that old life behind. Brother Sapp cries, baptism is not a wedding ceremony that changes adulterous marriages into honorable marriages. Let's say Bob and Sue. I mean, here it is. They're living in an adulterous marriage. Presto changeo, they're baptized, and it makes it an honorable marriage. Here's another but what if. Bob and Sue are not Christians but get married. Sue commits adultery with Ted. Sue divorces Bob and enters into an adulterous marriage with Ted. Baptizing Sue and Ted will or will not change their adulterous marriage into a holy one. It won't. It can't it'll wash away their sin, it'll wash away the sin of adultery, but it doesn't make sin righteous. Just as the homosexual can't continue to live in the homosexual lifestyle, just as you can't keep fornicating with that girl or that boy, just as you can't keep getting drunk or or you've got to quit stealing when you go into the... Walmart, I mean, you know, whatever that sin is, whatever it is, your sin, you've got to stop it. You've got to put it behind you. You can't become a Christian and continue to live in it. Adultery is adultery. Whether you're a Christian or non-Christian. Because sin is sin. Whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian. Baptism washes away sin, but it does not change sin. Sin is still sin. Hebrews 13 verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. In Acts chapter 2 we learn that baptism is for those who repent, not for those who value sex over salvation. But there is hope. There is hope. For all who will will repent, you know, God will forgive the sin of adultery. Titus chapter 2 verse 11, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to some men, no, all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, you've got to deny it, and unworldly lusts we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Not being married or not having sex has not killed anyone. I know there's a lot of double negatives, even triple negatives in that sentence. But let me say it again. Not being married or not having sex has not killed anybody. And it's not the end of the world. But our Hollywood society has confused us so that you've got to be married to be... How do you make that symbol? Complete. To be complete, you've got to be married, right? Right? And marriage is wonderful but only if it's in confines of God's plan based upon God's standard the right standard as we talked about this morning time will not permit me to say much more but know this I would not wish divorce on anybody it's horrible horrible Even when you think you know someone, you may not. And when you hear the words come out of the mouth of someone you've put your whole faith in, when you say over and over that you will not divorce them except for fornication, and in front of the preacher they admit they've committed adultery and and plan to move in with them, your, your world just comes crashing down. You can't help but. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Maybe you're having problems in your marriage and you need prayer. Maybe you've got more questions than answers and you need help. I can understand that. Maybe you're not a Christian, but understand that you, that you need to repent of your sins and to be pleasing to God so that you can be right with God. You, you understand that you need to be baptized. Well, if you do, first believe with all your heart. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Confess Christ as the Son of God before these people tonight. Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. And be baptized for the remission of your sins. Matthew chapter 16 verses 15 through 16. If you are a Christian and you've fallen away, perhaps maybe you're even in an unscriptural marriage. Repent. There is hope. Remember, remember, if you don't remember anything or take anything away from this sermon tonight, remember, remember to run to God and not away from God. In whatever situation you find your life in, run to God, run to God Run to God don't run away anymore come right now it's together